You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Social media has become a hotbed for real estate investors who want to promote themselves and their deals. Facebook feeds are filled with posts by people who appear to know everything, but in reality, maybe they don't. Just because you're good at marketing doesn't mean you're good at investing. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. It is so important to be able to separate fact from fiction when it comes to real estate. And today's guest is a real real estate investor who's sick and tired of seeing people boast on Facebook when in reality, they don't have the experience to back it up. And in some cases, they're just flat out breaking SEC and DRE laws. Tim Bratz knows how to spot the storytellers because he really does have the experience you need to do that. He's focused on multifamily deals right now, but he also has a background in wholesaling, single-family rentals, and turnkey properties. Tim founded Legacy Wealth Holdings in 2009, which currently owns more than 3,700 rental units in nine states. So I guess I'd say he has something real to boast about. And he's with me here today on The Real Wealth Show to talk about who you can trust and maybe who you should question when you're looking at your Facebook feed. So Tim, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Kathy, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And thanks for all the value that you're always putting out there. So I appreciate you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I I learn a lot on every show. That's one of the reasons I do it. So I learned a lot and lately I have been on Facebook, reading people's posts and seeing what everybody's up to. Somehow people in real estate have, have figured out how to target me. So my whole feed is full of people and syndications in real estate. So it's pretty funny. I'm sure you've noticed that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but you you posted something that I just totally resonated with, and it was you calling out some of these people on Facebook who who maybe are not telling the truth or telling part of the truth or uh, doing things not quite right. So let's just go over that, what you wrote and why you wrote it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my, my background's in real estate, you know, and I come from the single family realm, did a lot in the turnkey space, wholesale space, all that kind of stuff. And I've been in apartment buildings for the past several years. And that's really all that I focus on now. But now, I, I, just like you said, the Facebook feeds come in and you read what people are posting. And there's people that I actually know in the business who are not doing the deals that they say that they're doing on social media. And it was just time to call it out, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, a couple months ago, I decided to say, hey, time to call BS on the BSers. And here's who you need to watch out for. And I just went through kind of down the line of the things that were just on the top of my head that I see people lying about all the time. And um, one of them is people who brag about making offers and how much money they would make if they end up getting the deal. Uh, To me, that's such a joke. I mean, my my team makes 20 offers every single day on apartment buildings that range from a million to $20 million. That doesn't mean I'm buying any of them, right? right? We make 400 offers every single month and I average maybe two apartment buildings after through due diligence and through that whole process. So whenever somebody's bragging about making an offer on something, that means nothing. It totally falls on flat ears with me. <laughs> think, even if they get it under contract and, they, and they're going through due diligence, due diligence, I'm walking through this apartment building, that, that doesn't mean that they're actually buying it or that they even know how to operate it, right? Like mm. taking down apartment buildings is one thing. That's really only the tip of the iceberg. I even, uh, I've seen people, I know, I know a guy who's actually coaching on this stuff. And he, and he actually has a decent reputation, I think. Um, I don't know him that I don't know him personally, but I know of him and I know 
some of the people that he does business with and they say good things about him. But I went to go buy one of his apartment buildings in Houston, Texas. And I walked through this 250 unit apartment complex and there's roaches all over and there's tenants, just debris everywhere. There's cars without tires on them. And it's occupied at a 55% occupancy rate. And this guy's teaching other people how to buy and operate apartment buildings. And it's just it's stuff like that. When I see it, it needs to be called out because it gives people like you and me and other people who are actually doing the work and actually good operators and good educators. It gives us a bad reputation. Everybody else in the business who's doing these things, it doesn't resonate well. And that's why you see so many people bashing educators and why you see so many people bashing the real estate stuff that you, that you see out there because there's so many fly by night. I've done two deals and all of a sudden I'm an expert kind of a thing. And it, it's not, yeah. not legitimate. It really, really bothers. So this is what people need to be aware of is that just because you're an excellent marketer does not mean you're an excellent real estate investor. And you've got mm -hmm. a lot of young people that are going to these courses and learning how to market and how to build a list and how to raise money, but they've never done a deal or they've, like you said, done one or done somebody else's and can make a tremendous amount of money raising the money um, or thinking that they understand the business. You know, and I've been there myself too. There, you know, the times that I've made mistakes are doing things that I hadn't done before that I didn't understand. So I don't want to point fingers. I've done this too because it's exciting. We see a deal. The second deal I ever did was a subdivision that was foreclosed in the Oakland Hills, looking over the San Francisco Bay in the best school districts. And we were able to buy this subdivision for 25% of its, of its former value. And, and, you know, A-class property and, and just finish it out. But I had never done that, you know, and, and these had never received their C of O. So what seemed so simple at the time ended up being a nightmare and investors mm -hmm. lost money. And so I, I don't want to blame anybody. I just want to help investors understand what they should trust and, and not trust. And in that case, mm -hmm. a great question an investor could have asked me is, wow, have you ever bought a foreclosed subdivision, <laughs> you know, and, uh, or do you have someone on your team who has now at the same mm -hmm. time, we did the same thing with, with the developer we work with today, bought a foreclosed subdivision for even less, like maybe 30 cents on the dollar. And he had done that before he'd done it for four decades. So we mm -hmm. sailed right through it and people made a really fat return. Yeah. Whenever I see somebody talking about how they're a um, like a serial entrepreneur, and they get their hands in all these different things. They say, "Oh yeah, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm in I'm in real estate, and I do this, and I do that, and I do all these other things." Like real estate's not a niche. Real estate is a is an industry, you know. And there's many many different businesses that you need to understand how to run in real estate. And so I get scared whenever somebody tells me they're a serial entrepreneur and they're involved in all these different asset classes and all these different types of real estate and all these different things because. I know that they're not focused. And just mm -hmm. like, you know, what you learned in, in your experience is every time I've ever gone into a different asset class and I, I, I bought a couple of vacation rentals about 18, 24 months ago, what, what am I doing? You know, like <laughs> they break even at best. The financing is a pain in the butt because nobody, nobody finances short-term rentals it's in an area where they're overdeveloping and out of state, all this stuff. Like, what am I doing? So, you know, I'm, I'm going to... My investors would never lose money. I'm going to write a check in order to get rid of it because all it is is a time suck on my team. And every time I get into a new asset class, I either lose time or I lose money. And just asking somebody, have you ever done this before? Or who on your team has done this before? How many times have you done this before? Mm -hmm. And qualifying them 
is a big deal. And that's all, it's the question. It's, it's almost scary how easy it is to raise capital, especially in today's mm-hmm. market when people are trying to force deals. I teach people to not force deals, to try to kill every single deal. Mm-hmm. If you cannot kill the deal, then you know it's a deal because you know, you've stressed the numbers in every single way. And um, really something massively catastrophic would have to happen just to break even on it. And so, yeah, we stress the heck out of all of our projects. And if we cannot kill it, then we know it's a deal. But, you know, let's let's take a look at you. You started out in single family, correct? Mm-hmm. I started out like a lot of people do. I, I thought, you know, you get involved in real estate, you become a real estate agent first. And so <laughs> I became a real estate agent. And then I went out to some seminars and realized you you don't need a license and you can go and flip houses and, you know, saw all that stuff. I got into wholesaling, got into house flipping. I was really bad at flipping houses. And then I started buying, you know, just like single family rentals and small multifamily, a duplex, a triplex, got my first eight unit about seven years ago, um, a little over seven and a half years ago. And um, I liked flipping rental properties because if it didn't sell, I didn't have to worry about it because I had a renter in place that covered all the operating expenses, it covered all the debt service and still put cash in my pocket. So I wasn't stressed out over the holding costs. And I liked apartments because it was just more scaled. So I, I can go buy a 10-unit apartment building instead of 10 houses. So I can negotiate with one seller instead of 10 sellers, or you know, I could get one loan instead of 10 loans. I can go to one location to collect rent instead of 10 locations. My first apartment building was seven and a half years ago. I've been exclusively focused on apartments for the past about four years. But I got okay. in the turnkey space for a while too. I like turnkey. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good business model too. If I wasn't in apartments, I'd be doing turnkey still. Well, you're an example of somebody who did try a new asset class. I mean, it's similar. It's rental, but from single to multifamily. So how did you navigate that successfully or, or was it not as successful in the beginning? So, I mean, I've only lost money on one apartment building ever, and, but I've lost money on a bunch of single family flips. You know? And <laughs> I remember just when I first started buying and holding apartment buildings or any property, I like not having the stress of, of having rental properties. So I knew that at least at lowest common denominator for that deal, if I could let it rent out, then I could probably flip it and make more money. I could wholesale it and make more money and make bigger pops in many other different ways. And so I always started underwriting deals only if they cash flow from a base rental. I don't stress it with Airbnb or short-term rentals or student housing or anything like that. I just say, hey, if I put an annual renter in there, will this thing cash flow? And usually if that if it works, then all the other different things work too. So when I was early on, I didn't know any better. And I just got into all these different asset classes and I started flipping high-end flips and low-end flips and single family low-end rentals. And I bought some duplexes and I bought this eightplex. And I just sat back and reflected on my business of where did I make money? Where did I lose money? And um, you know, where was I banging my head against the wall and total brain damage versus the stuff that was easier to operate? And um, I just kind of gravitated toward apartments. That's what made the most sense for me. And um, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you're buying at a low enough basis, then you can have success in real estate, right? There's a lot of people out there, especially at the top of the market right now, who are buying retail price deals. And if interest rates go up, guess what happens to valuations? They work inversely. So values are going to come down and you're going to end up losing money. And so when you have to refinance in five years or seven years or whatever, uh, three years, then um, you're not going to be able to because of values where they are. So if you're always buying at a wholesale price, like a lot of people say, you know, location, location, location. I think the number one rule in real estate is wholesale, wholesale, wholesale. 
because I've made money in bad, bad neighborhoods before because I bought at a low enough basis. And so that's number one. Number two is you can organically grow like I did. And you know, I bought a duplex, right? And then I bought a triplex and then I bought an eight unit. Then I bought another eight unit. Then I bought a 16 unit and then I bought a 23 unit. And I just organically grew up to a couple hundred units. So then when I went and bought a hundred unit building, I already had the skill set. I already had the experience to do that. And then number three is just find somebody who's already having success, who already knows what they're doing. Meaning I didn't even know that there were people like me who would go out and sponsor loans for folks. And um, you can partner up. So like I have people who know me from social media and, and through events that I speak at and stuff. They're like, hey, Tim, I have this deal. I can manage the contractors. I can oversee the property management. I can do all the boots on the ground type stuff, but I need money or I need access to money or I need somebody to sign this loan. Will you come in and partner up with me? And so I'm able, like, I just closed on 105 units yesterday and we closed on 105 units. It was brought to me by somebody who's got a lot of experience in brokering real estate, but not necessarily in owning apartment buildings. And so he brought it to me. He's got a good friend who owns a construction company. They flip a lot of houses and do a lot of construction stuff. So they know what they're doing from that standpoint, but they needed somebody to help raise money. They needed somebody to sponsor the loan. They needed somebody to hold their hand to make sure that they didn't make big mistakes on this 105 unit apartment building. So it was a way that they could jump into a big apartment building without the stress of worrying about losing and tripping over their own feet on that. So find somebody in your own local market or wherever you're buying real estate and partner up with somebody who has the experience, who has the knowledge, who has the insight, who has been around the block a few times and knows how to do these deals. I love it. That is really, really good advice. So you're seeing a lot. I mean, if, if people are asking you to partner or to sign on a, a loan of a deal, you must be seeing some bad deals out there. I mean, what, <laughs> what kinds of things are you seeing that you just scratch your head and go, man, you're, how are you going to make that work? Oh, there's, there's a lot of bad deals. And, you know, I, especially in apartment buildings, for instance, like uh, values, there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines right now. A lot of it wants to get out of the ups and downs of the stock market and get into more of a fixed asset like real estate or some sort of alternative asset. So a lot of people are going into real estate, but it's not that sophisticated of money. Like they don't know, they, they haven't done it before. So they're just bringing money from the sidelines and then now they're going into real estate without partnering up with somebody. And so one of the things that I like where I buy a lot of my apartment buildings is from two people. One is a mom and pop who's owned it for 30 or 40 years, sucked all the cash flow out and just never renovated the building. And it was just time to, hey, I, I'm not bankable. I got to let this thing go. So that's one person that I buy from. But the other person is, is multimillionaire entrepreneurs who made money in some other asset class that are now trying to get into real estate. And they got involved. They didn't vet the deal. They didn't underwrite it properly. They didn't have boots on the ground or a local joint venture partner. The property management company was burning them and ripping them off. And these are smart people who make millions of dollars every year that got into commercial real estate because they wanted to park money somewhere, but they didn't have a good partner. They didn't know what they were doing. And unfortunately, they end up losing the property because either they lose their primary business or their property or both. And so they just walk away from these apartment buildings and let them go. So that's where I get a lot of deals from. So it's really important that people understand they can either organically learn this stuff or they can partner with somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Don't jump into the deep end before you know how to swim. No, exactly. Exactly. You're going to drown, right? And so, I mean, there's deals out there that these sophisticated real estate investors who have owned property for decades 
they know it's the peak of a market right now, and they're hoping some dumb money comes in and buys their property at a 3% cap rate you know, or a 4% cap rate. And to me, I mean, interest rates are the lowest they've ever been, and they're only going to go in one direction. They're going to go up. And when interest rates go up, values work inversely. So that means values are going to come down. And if you're projecting a five-year refinance on a building, or, or, which is what most of the banks have their balloon payments due at, that's why I say five years, you can't pay down enough principal over five years because it's all front-end loaded interest. So you're just making pretty much interest payments for the first five years you own these apartment buildings. Then interest rates go up five years from now. So values come down. You, you know, There's people speculating on all this stuff. You cannot speculate. And at the end of the day, you got to force appreciation or create appreciation versus hoping for appreciation. So we look for value-add type deals. We look for deals that are either physically distressed or managerially distressed, where we can come in, fix them all up, provide a clean, safe, functional type housing for people who will come in, pay market rate rent, and then we put good management in place. And so we're able to create appreciation versus hoping for it. And that allows us to then turn over the money, turn over and refinance in like 12 to 8, and we're at a low enough basis. So I just, I just took the same single family methods that, that a lot of the people that you work with go in at, you know, I got to be all in for 65% of that after repair value. And that's what I've duplicated in apartments. So we say no to a lot of deals because everything's at retail price right now. If something's stabilized, meaning it's fully occupied at market rate rents, it doesn't need any work. Why would that person, why would the seller sell it? It's, <laughs> it's, they're not distressed, you know? Yeah. So they're, they're it looking, cause someone's they're gonna looking pay more. top dollar. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Because they know that they'll never get more for that deal than they will today. Yeah. And so they're, tr- they're hoping somebody will come in and, you know, maybe it's overseas money, maybe it's Canada money, maybe it's California money, right? Yeah. And, um, and they, they go into one of these Midwest markets or Southeast markets and they go and overpay. Yeah. Comparatively, it looks like a good deal. But the reality is you got to pay attention to the market. You got to understand who's, who, who the players are. You got to look at the comparables and what properties are appraising for and make sure you have a local partner who can help you navigate that stuff. Because if you don't, you will lose money. And, um, yeah. and obviously we don't want anybody doing that. No. Yeah. Multifamily is tricky. Everyone wants to get into it. It's just got this sex appeal that you know is more desirable for a lot of people than single family. But single family is a great place to start to learn like you said, then go to duplexes, then go to fourplexes. I personally mm-hmm. just like single family. I, it's what I would want to live in and it's what I want to give to tenants. But I've lost my shirt on two apartments. So I, <laughs> it's coming from someone who's just been uh, I know. tainted yep. by it. But um, all right, well, let's go back to your Facebook post because we didn't get through all mm-hmm. of it. I think this is so good. So the first one, basically, <laughs> you're calling BS on the BSers and uh, you actually spelled it out the full word on Facebook, but I won't say it here. Uh, but, um, you know, and so it's like the people who are bragging about making offers. Well, who cares when you're in the business, you're making offers. Number two, they brag when they finally get into contract. Well, you know, who cares? You still got to do your due diligence, right? And they shouldn't mm-hmm. be bragging about, they shouldn't be talking about any deal that they're going to raise money for unless it's a 506C. So they're breaking the SEC law anyway, if they're talking about these things, then planning on raising money in a private placement. Mm-hmm. But then the third is uh, they brag about how many units they own. Now, I see this all the time and I was super intimidated by it when I started going to multifamily masterminds and everybody had hundreds, if not thousands of doors. Uh, but then you kind of call BS on it. So, so what, what do you <laughs> see in there? 
in a big way. I mean, what, what a lot of people, they think you own this many rental units, right? And there's some people that do, and they own them wholly, but majority of the time, it's either majority owned by you know, equity investors, or they have joint venture partners and all these different things. So I personally own 3,400, I think 3,472 units as I'm talking to you right now, Kathy. But I, on average, I own about 26% of that. So it's a lot of units, but I own 26%. And that is far more than what most people own uh, Mm -hmm. equity wise. Like what you don't realize, like I have people who have invested in my deals actually, and then go onto social media and they're like, they invest $100,000 in a a 700 unit portfolio that I just bought. And we raised 5 million bucks on it, right? And they, they own half a percent of this deal. And they're going and telling people that they just bought 700 units. Like it it happens with people that I actually do deals with. And, and I know people that are doing it in a, like, you know, I I know people who are just wholesaling apartment buildings that Mm. instead of taking a fee, a wholesale fee, they'll just take a little percentage of equity. They'll take two, 3% equity. And they'll, uh, and then they'll tell people they own 300 apartment units, you know? (laughs) And, and that's, Hey, it, it, it's okay to tell people that as long as you also disclose that you own 3% of 300 apartment units. So really you own nine, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things. I think the big question is one, are you an operator or an investor? And are you investing thousands or are you investing millions, right? Is it your money or is it somebody else's money? And I know um, like there's one guy going around saying that he's invested 10 million bucks in the past 12 months in apartments and this and that. and He's invested in in apartment buildings, but he personally has raised other people's money to then go and deploy into apartment buildings through his fund. So he personally owns maybe one or two percent of any of those apartment buildings, right. and his investors own majority of the share. But he's That's saying right. that he owns all of all of this equity, you know. And so oh. it's just it's almost diabolical. It's just so misleading. And unless you know the right questions to ask, and you're actually asking somebody how much equity do you own in those X number of units. I mean, you can go and buy $5,000 of stock in a, in a real estate trust or, or go on Fundrise you know, and throw some money in some project that's 10,000 units. That doesn't mean that that person owns 10,000 units, right? It means they own a very, very small share in those units with zero, uh, in that apartment with building. With zero management or operational skills in it. Yeah. So, yeah they just were a yeah. passive investor. So what would be the question you would ask? Would you, would you just flat out say, what's your percentage? Or what's your... Yeah. How much equity do you have? Okay. You know, and ask them, hey, what, like, are you the actual operator in this or are you an investor in this? That's I would cool. also ask that. Okay. Then you but go on I to I would say, just flat out ask, you know, how much equity do you actually own? What, what's your percentage? That's great. That's great. Okay. You go on to say that then people will brag about closing on buildings, which means nothing if they paid too much and they're going <laughs> to lose money or lose <laughs> investor money. So um, don't get excited about people closing especially if they have no idea how they're going to operate that. Have you seen that firsthand? Oh, all the time. I mean, one of the, I, I actually invested in somebody's deal and have taken the entire thing over because they didn't know what they were doing. It's a good buddy of mine. You know, he's bragging about how he's bought this 50 unit apartment building and how he's, he's running this thing and how he's growing his portfolio and doing this and doing that. And he just absolutely sucks at operations. <laughs> and I would tell him that to his face. And, and I have told him that, that to his face. And he, if he was on here with us, I, I'd call him out on it too. But being and funding a building is 10% of the work. Now, somebody actually has to renovate it. Somebody has to lease it up. Somebody has to manage the management company. Somebody has to asset manage it. Somebody's got to pay attention to this thing for the next 15 or 20 years of ownership. 
And that's when the real work comes in. I mean, again, I was in the, the turnkey space. It's easy to sell houses. It's very difficult on the management side. And um, same thing with apartment buildings. You've got to like, have it, your processes dialed in. And it's, it's a science and it's an art. It's a science of how to go through and navigate the process map on doing the renovations. And it's an art of having these conversations with tenants to make sure that you don't have a mass exodus of people moving out and you know, you can still get the rents up to where you need it. And there's a lot of different moving parts and all that stuff. And I, and I told you one about that one buddy of mine. And so we've had to step in. And now I told him, listen, man, you're not allowed to operate any deals. You're allowed to just wholesale to me and I'll give you a 5% ownership or whatever in, in the project forever if you, uh, if you wholesale a deal to me. And so the problem is now that now, he, now he's wholesaled like 600 units to me and, and, uh, and, and other people. And now he says he owns 600 units, but it's really only a few percentage points, right? Oh so the same thing, right? And then, uh, and then I told you, one of these gurus that is out there teaching people how to own and operate apartment buildings, we showed up to buy one of his buildings, 200 unit apartment complex in Houston, and we're doing due diligence and realize the place is 50% occupied. It's crumbling. There's roaches everywhere. There's bugs everywhere. There's tenants with you know mattresses in the hallways and all sorts of stuff. And these guys teaching people how to go out and buy and run oh, apartments. And just, oh, it's so just a complete that. farce. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, and then finally, you, know you said um, <laughs> sure. people brag about uh, speaking at Ivy League universities you know, like Harvard or getting their name in Times Square on the NASDAQ Jumbotron. But how do they get there? You and I know, but how do they get to speak at Harvard? <laughs> yeah, you, you can pay. You can pay. Like you go and speak at Harvard. I've seen, how many people have you seen speak at Harvard? They're standing in front of a podium <laughs> saying that it says Harvard University. And, and they, there's this big room of people. What they don't tell you is that they paid to speak to a group of people who also paid to speak to that same group of people. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's such, it's so fake. It's such a, a scheme. And, uh, and same thing with the Jumbotron stuff. You know, you, you, you pay money and you go and go stand in front of the Jumbotron and they put you up there for four seconds and you get a picture of it and then you post it on social media. And then, you know, everybody thinks that you have all this credibility. And the reality is anybody with money can do that. Same thing with like the, the fancy cars and um, the, the, a lot of the lifestyle type stuff. Like anybody with a 600 credit score can go out and, and buy a, a Lamborghini, <laughs> right? Like... Or buy two or three and brag. Can you operate it? Can you? Right. You know, and it's, it's just, it's tough, you know, and um, it's tough to navigate. And it really, you know, I'm paying attention to who are they hanging out with? Who are they represented by? Who are they in a circle with? Because birds of a feather typically flock together. And so like you and I met in person for the first time at Rod Khalif's event. Rod Khalif is a solid person. And I, I know that you're solid and Rod's solid. So that tells me that a lot of the other people in that room are solid too, just because of the, the individuals in that room. Now, mm-hmm. would I just blindly write checks to anybody in the room? No, I'd still underwrite the deals. I'd still look at their background. I'd still do the due diligence. So it's not to say that, but at least it gets past that initial you know, test of, is this person a decent human being? Do they have a decent track record? Right, so, because if you're in a group, um, you're going to hear Pay attention to who they're, who they're hanging out with and still look at the deal. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and what's good about being in like a mastermind group or being in, involved is that the people who are fakers usually get spun out pretty quickly. Like yeah. they're not around very long. Somebody does a single bad deal with them and they all of a sudden they jump out of that group and they go and join some other group <laughs> because they got th- their name is mud in this group over here, you know? And yeah. so um, you got to be careful of the people who jump around a lot. And um, I mean, I mean, <laughs> 
There's so many. We can keep on going. I know somebody who's got a, a podcast that talks all about cash flow, and they call themselves royalty of cash. Like, like I don't want to say their name, but essentially saying that they own cash flow and they're the they're the biggest cash flow person out there. And um, they started the podcast when they didn't own any rental properties. Like they, yeah. <laughs> they don't, you they can be real, real good at marketing, and and just remember that oh. doesn't mean you're good at real estate. Well, I do want to say that I did that, make. That's it, and that's where I, that's where it ends. I made the NASDAQ Jumbotron without paying. I just want to just get that out there. That was real when I won uh-huh. the Goldman Sachs Award in 2012. I ended up there and I got a picture of it. And that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, I have. Were you in, the, were you in 10,000 small businesses? No, I won the uh, 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs from Goldman Sachs. I love it. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It has been a pleasure to have you here <laughs> on the Real Well Show. You've been just speaking what I feel and believe and and just so want to warn people to be careful out there. Be careful. Hey, and I appreciate you and I, and I appreciate you keeping it real and sharing this information with in, individuals and making sure that people are making good investment decisions because it's uh, it can be tricky out there. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And again, thank you for all the value that you continue to put out there, Kathy. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can get more education and information on our website at realwealthshow.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.